All right, this morning we're in the book of 3 John. For those of you who haven't been with us, we are running through some, kind of racing through some of the short books in the Bible. We finished a chapter, a study that we were doing, and this is going to be a little filler. But it's been more than a filler for those of you who've been here. We went through Philemon, Philemon book that deals with forgiveness, radical forgiveness, and the ability to, let's see, up. Oh, you're gonna have to, oh, there's two seats up here. Um, all right. And then there's two over here and there's a couple, you guys in the back may wanna scoot closer together or something. Well, maybe we're done, I don't know. Um, the um, Philemon deals with radical forgiveness. And in a culturally, a situation culturally that for where forgiveness wasn't expected, but as Christians were asked to forgive. And then we moved on to 2 John last week. <clears throat> Second John is concerned with truth and protecting truth in the church. Um, it actually talks a lot about loving each other and obeying the commandments, which are flip sides of the same coin. But at the center of it is truth. Because if we wander from the truth, if if you leave the truth, uh, that causes great pain to the rest of the body. It's very, uh, from the body standpoint, it's, it's, um, it breaks that fellowship and it's unloving when it happens. Um, and so they talked about protecting the truth. And in Second John, we have the situation where you had people coming in from the outside, preachers, itinerant preachers coming through and they were bringing a false gospel. And they were told, don't even invite them into your house, which in the first century, especially if there was any Jewish influence to the Jews, hospitality was one of the highest virtues. To say don't be hospitable to somebody was a, was a pretty um, major insult or would have looked very unloving in that culture. And yet John says the truth is more important than that. We protect the truth, we cling to the truth, and people who are trying to bring error are pushed away. And it is actually the most loving thing you can do to tell somebody who's speaking the truth that they are in error and we do not support that at all. So that was last week. This week, of course, is 3rd John. I was telling April this week, I read through 3rd John and it was absolutely fascinating. It is the photographic negative of 2nd John. Um, in 2 John, you had the case of a church that, where they were trying to protect truth or error from coming in from the outside. In 3 John, it's the exact opposite. It's written to a man by the name of Gaius. We'll read it here in a second. Truth is the focus of the book. But you have a pastor who is in the church or an elder or somebody of influence who is preventing truth from getting to the church. You have itinerant ministers coming through who are preaching the gospel and are being kept out of the church. And not only that, pushing people out. So the fox is in the hen house and the truth is trying to get in, whereas last week the fox was on the outside and we were trying to protect the truth on the inside. So it's really interesting. It's like the flip side to this. So as you read it, you'll see that there's a couple of names. There's uh, Gaius is the letter, whom the letter is written to. Gaius is a great example of a believer. Then there's uh, 
Diotrephes, who is a pastor or an elder of some sort, who has seized control of the church and is actually introducing error. And then you have another man by the name of Demetrius who's held up as a good example, but we don't know anything about him. So let's go ahead and read the book. Um, it's kind of funny to say that, read the book, because it's the whole thing. Um, it is written, for those of you who haven't been here, it's written by the Apostle John. You would know that from the, type, the name of it. Doesn't say that in there. Probably written when John is, what's written about 90 to 95 AD, they believe. So John, if he was 20 when Christ was crucified, he would be somewhere 70, not 80 to 90 years old at this point. So he's an old man. We know he lives to be older than that. Um, uh, goes ahead and writes Revelation and has his exile. But at this point, he's probably still the pastor at the church in Ephesus, which is where John pastored or was the, was the elder. So let's go ahead and read Third John. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them out on the journey, their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but uh, Diotrophes, Diotrophes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We will also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. I have had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Okay, very personal letter. Um, everybody catch the problem here? We have uh, Diotrephes, and there's a bunch of things that are said about him that are amazing, right? He doesn't um, acknowledge the authority of the Apostle John. Okay, just ponder that for a minute. Um, he apparently refuses to read a letter that was sent to their church. Um, and because he says, I've written something, but uh, Diotrephes um, won't acknowledge our authority. You get the impression that Diotrephes held onto the letter. Um, he talks wicked nonsense and he refuses to welcome the brothers. These are who was talked about at the beginning. He refused to welcome the brothers. He refuses to allow anybody to welcome the brothers. And he puts them out of the church if they do it. So Gaius is in an interesting position because what is Gaius doing? Exactly what Diotrephes is telling him not to do. He is welcoming the brothers 
bringing them into his home and supporting them. And so that's the situation that's causing it to be written. Okay, so um, let's start. We're going to go paragraph by paragraph through this. I think we'll just be in 3 John one week. It says in verse uh, 1, the elder to beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Uh, by the way, the word truth is used what? Five times in the first paragraph, if you caught that. Um, uh, he loves him in truth, which could mean that he truly loves him or that being believers, he loves him as a believer, a fellow believer with that bond that we talked about last week. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly with the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Um, there's a lot in those couple of verses, but um, he begins, uh, apparently when they wrote a letter in the first century, this is a very common beginning to the letter. It's a very personal letter. Um, we have forms for letters. We know how to write letters. Well, there you always began with a prayer for good health and success. Okay? Right? I mean, and you may do that too, right? You write a letter, you talk to somebody, you wish them well. So he says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. Very standard. Look at the next line. As it goes well with your soul. Okay. Um, or in other words, he's linking those two together. Uh, and in essence, what he's saying is this. Uh, I, I hope or I pray that your physical health and well-being is going as well as your spiritual health. Because Gaius is a model example of a believer. He's walking in the truth. He's bringing great joy. He's supporting the people who are coming. He's actually putting himself in a position of maybe some conflict for doing the right thing. Um, some translations read it a little stronger than it does in the ESV, but the implication here is that he's saying, I pray that your physical health and well-being is just as healthy as your soul. Okay? How, how many of you would want that prayer prayed for, for you? I, I, I pray for you that your physical health mirrors your spiritual health. I think I would tell them, please don't do that. <laughs> I might be in the hospital by the end of the week, right? I mean, uh, my physical health is kind of a gift from God and my spiritual health, you know, I, I, we all look and see where there's, there's things that we need to work on, but that's essentially what he's saying here, is I, I'm, I pray that it goes as well with you physically as it does with you spiritually. So uh, Gaius is a man that we can respect, that John was able to write that about him. And then verse three and four, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Um, those are, especially that last one's a special verse um, for people who have children and for people who have led other people to the Lord or people that you feel like you've been influential in their lives. We're not exactly sure what he means when he says, my children. It could be those he's led to Christ. It could be those that he pastors. It could be 
um, his own children, uh, probably not in this context, okay? So um, this is what we were talking about last week in 2 John. This is that kind of love that takes place when we walk in the truth. It brings great joy to the people around us. If you continue in the truth in this church, then then you are a constant encouragement and you are bringing great joy to the people around you. And those of you who have known people who've wandered away from the the truth, that causes a, a hurt that goes deep inside and the closer they are to you, the more that is. Um, and so he is a cause of great rejoicing. And the reason it says is because he is walking in the truth. So walking in the truth would be living our life according to the, the, the principles, the command of Christ, and also being filled with the spirit, asking for God's spirit to, to empower us each and every day is walking in the truth. So any comments on that first little paragraph. If the young people are here, I would tell them that the best way they can bring joy to their parents is to continue to walk in the faith. But it occurs to me that most of you have living parents as well, right? Most of you, not all of you. The, the what great way to bring joy to your parents is to remain firm in your faith because if they are Christian parents, that's the thing that matters the most to them. So, no comments on that? Okay. Are we still pondering whether we should pray for your health as much as your spiritual health? Well, but I just thought that it's like, you know, as an elder, I, I see it, he's talking as an elder, he sees them in relationships with children, he's yeah. like brothers and sisters in Christ, and he has a responsibility or a burden on his heart. Yeah. And I think as a parent, that resonates because we have a responsibility. And so, like, and so when these responsibilities are filled with great joys, yeah. and if uh, someone leaves the church or they're astray, you burden on you and you feel like how have I failed them or what could I have done more and you know so it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's pains you as much as it's the reverse of your joy yes and fortunately as parents we have assurances that God is still working in our children sometimes they're they're the lost sheep or the prodigal son and we continue to pray that they come back but the joy is when they're walking in the Lord all right Let's look now at uh, Gaius and what he's doing. Um, and then we do want to talk about uh, Diotrephes. So the next little paragraph goes down to verse 8. It says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they were, were who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Um, Gaius is commended for being faithful in something that he's doing. And what he is faithful in doing is bringing in people who are going out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. They've gone out for the sake of the name. Their purpose is to preach the gospel. And they're coming into his town. We don't know what town that is, but whatever town it is, they come in 
As we talked about last week, they need a place to stay because you didn't stay at an inn typically. That was a, usually a house of ill repute, a place of dissipation, drunkenness, and prostitution. And so they would stay with somebody. And they would come and they would need a place to stay. And that was the issue last week. Don't invite them into their house if they're bringing the false teaching. But here they're bringing right teaching. They need a place to stay. And Gaius is the one who is opening his house. Not only is he opening his house, he sends them off in a manner worthy of God. Um, I wonder what that means. We'll think about that. We'll come back to that. And then he supports them. We ought to support people like these. And as a result, the, the word gets back to the church where John is, that when you go to this town, Gaius is the one who supports and provides and encourages us and lives out his faith by taking us in. It makes very clear that they took nothing from the Gentiles. Uh, the, the Gentiles don't know the value of the word of God. They don't know the value of the gospel. They aren't going to pay anything for it. So somebody else has to provide for them. All right. <clears throat> A manner worthy of God. Let's just look at that in verse 7. If you go back to Matthew chapter 25, I think we have a good illustration of what it is to send somebody out in a manner worthy of, of God. Uh, Matthew 25, this is uh, the final judgment. You remember that story. It's actually told twice in the Bible when the sheep and the goats. Um, and it'll, uh, starting in verse 34, says, And the king will say to those, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king said, the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So. Um, Gaius is living out that. People are coming, he's welcoming them, he's providing for them, he's sending them out. This text is a text that preaches itself. Who are we talking about here in our contemporary culture? Most of you don't have strangers showing up at your door, do you? I don't. Um, I think over the course of our life there's been a couple times where somebody needed help and we either took care of them or one time invited them to come and stay. They didn't take us up on that, but most of us wouldn't have strangers coming to our door. We don't have itinerant missionaries coming through or preachers coming through Kingsburg. So does this passage not apply to us? Who is it that's going out for the, the sake of the name? It's our missionaries, right? It's our missionaries. We have people who devote their lives to the preaching of the gospel, who go out sometimes to foreign countries sometimes um, in where we are, because there's a lot of needs here, and we should be that type of person who is supporting them. They probably don't need a place to stay. What do they need? Financial support. Of course, they need prayer support, they need emotional support, but they need financial support. Our church, 
supports four missionaries, right, Peter? We had four. We've got Josiah, and we've got uh, the Hurleys, and we've got uh, Corey and Christine, and have we brought on Arione? Oh, man. <laughs> okay, three missionaries, three missionaries, uh, and Lucio, so that's four. So um, we've got four and one waiting to be announced. Um, <clears throat> apparently, I missed the uh, memo on that one. Um, that's four missionaries, okay? Um, and we give them a certain amount of support from our church. But see, there's a lot of you in here. All right, and I, I have no idea what you give, but we should be giving to missions, not just through the church. You should take on missionaries. If you're a younger family and have children, one of the things, I'm, I'm not holding ourselves up as an example, but we had missionaries that we supported that we prayed for every day so that our kids understood that missions was important. We should have done more, um, uh, all of us should, but you should be thinking that way. Am I like Gaius, supporting the truth that's going out? Am I, or am I content to do just what the church does? The church has five missionaries, but look at how many of us there are in this room, right? You know, if if each one of us supported um, 5% of a missionary, we should have five missionaries just out of this this class that we could support. Um, So, that, that principle of supporting is really important. And then I think it's interesting at the end, verse 9 or verse 8, therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Um, you know, you'll get missionary letters and they talk about partner with us. Get missionary letters and talk about our fellow workers. But you know what? When you give money to missions, you are a fellow worker. You, you are partnering with them. You're making it possible for them to do what they're doing. And, and the pa- Pastor Scott, what, two weeks ago, I think, he preached on that bizarre parable, <laughs> right? The one that I've never understood, where you take and the dishonest uh, servant or the manager who takes and uses his master's money to uh, make friends for himself after he gets fired, and Jesus says basically commends him or what he does to us and says use your money to make friends in heaven. And if I remember what Pastor Scott said was, when when you give to missions, when you give to people who go out and preach the gospel, you become a partner with them, and what they're doing is bringing people, uh, being used by God to to bring people to him. And those people will greet us in heaven and welcome us in heaven. It's a really powerful thought. So uh, this is a great missions text right here. We should be supporting those who are, are coming to us who need support. And maybe even at the co- a cost, because if we understand the last part of this chapter, uh, Diotrephes may kick him out of the church for doing that, which is a bizarre idea, but he could be kicked out. There's a cost to him for potentially for doing this, just like there would be a cost to us for doing that. Let me stop here and take 
comments. Peter might have something to say. I know he's our missions chairman, or, but, uh, and, and now I'm in trouble because I spilled the beans. But uh, you guys can all sit back knowingly. When P are you going to make the announcement, Peter? That's a video. Okay, when that video starts, just uh, okay. Any any comments on on that? Maybe some of you have. I know there's a lot of you who do support. By the way, I know that a lot of you support missionaries, um, and you support it by giving to the church. But many of you support it, or you support missionary activities around here. Um, I'm just encouraging you to continue doing that and to do more. But any comments or thoughts on missions? Okay, then let's, let's go to the uh, problem. And this is where we're going to kind of get back to the importance of the truth. Um, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome brothers. He stops those who want, uh, who he, those who he wants to, and puts them out of the church. Uh, let's put up some stuff about Diotrephes here, just so we have it. Um, Diotrephes, he likes to put himself first. Right. Put himself first. And then he does not acknowledge the apostle's authority. It's interesting that Paul used the word uh, our authority, does not accept our authority. And then we see what he's doing. He, um, he says he uh, he's talking wicked nonsense. So we see this, he talks wicked nonsense. And he refuses to welcome. So he's the exact opposite of Gaius. He refuses to welcome the brothers. And he stops other people from doing that. And he kicks them out of the church. If they do it. Um, at the very minimum, we can say this is not a healthy church structure, okay? <laughs> this is about as bad as it gets. So let's just take this, uh, put himself first. What is a pastor, an elder, supposed to do? Put others first, put God first and others second. Put God first, <clears throat> put others after God, um, right? What's the model for church leadership? Servant leader, shepherd of the flock, one who lays down his life for the flock. Um, this man is as far from a Christian pastor as he should be. Um, if we go back to Philippians chapter two, um, we see this. This is a model not just, by the way, <laughs> That's not just a model for pastors, it's a model for everybody, right? But it ought to especially be seen in our pastors. And 
So if you say, well, that's good, I'm not a pastor, I don't have to put myself, I can put myself first. No, you've missed the point. We're all to be servant leaders. Fathers are servant leaders in their homes. So are mothers. So are, um, is anybody that's in authority needs to be a servant uh, leader. Um, in Philippians 2, um, starting in the very beginning, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, um, any affection and sympathy, uh, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count one others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which was in Christ Jesus. And then it talks about him emptying himself and coming. Right? Um, there are churches where this is not the model. I was talking with Tom um, uh, Rios, and he was saying that there are many, especially Pentecostal churches, um, where the, the pastor is like a little god. He is the dictator of that church. And I've known people in churches like that where the pastor will tell somebody, you need to quit that job or you need to marry that person, or you need to and give them an order and expect it to be followed. That's not, that's not the model. He can give advice, but if you find yourself in a church like that, it needs to be dealt with, and that's what John says. Now, we don't find ourselves in that position, but uh, it'd be foolish to think that we'll all be sitting in this church on Sunday morning for the rest of our lives, right? Some of you will end up in different places. It's important if you're going to a church you have a person like this begins to put himself first and very quickly you have a very, very unhealthy. You should watch for that. And John is gonna talk with him and tell him that what he's doing is wrong. Now, this next one is one that blows me away. Does not acknowledge the apostles' authority. Everybody understand who John is? John is the last living apostle. John is someone who saw Jesus Christ who saw him on the cross, who witnessed the resurrection, who saw the transfiguration, who was there on Pentecost when the, the Holy Spirit came down, who had seen the entire Christian church up to that point. He is the only person left in the world who's seen the entire growth from the time Jesus started his ministry to the time where Jesus ended it to where it was right now. If you go back to 1 John, the very beginning, um, and I think these books are written in very close time proximity. Um, John establishes his credentials by mentioning that. In the beginning of 1 John, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, uh, which we have seen with our eyes and what we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you, may, the, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship indeed is with the Father and his Son. And we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. Okay, can you imagine somebody saying to the Apostle John, I am a Christian pastor and I do not accept your authority? 
Doesn't that blow you away? You realize that's what's happening today? Do we have the apostles authority? Yeah, we just read it. Um, it doesn't make any difference why the gospel is not preached to the church, but if the Bible is not held up as authoritative, the authoritative inerrant word of God, then whether they like to admit it or not, the pastor is doing this exact same thing, right? There are many churches where the authority of the word of God is not acknowledged or it's acknowledged, but downplayed. Everything else is more important. And you will be in exactly the same position as this church is given a little bit of time. Bernie, I'll get Rod first. Go ahead, Rod. Well, um, yeah, I actually would think it would be a deeper issue where they don't acknowledge the authority of Scripture, period. Um, and, and we see that. And there's a lot of churches, and almost every church is tempted to both of these things, okay? I don't think I see this issue in our church. I don't see Pastor Scott as putting himself first or the elders. I, don't, I think that we acknowledge the Word of God. That doesn't make for a healthy church, but that's the foundation for it. Um, but that doesn't mean it'll always be that way. That fight for the truth that we were talking about last week begins there. I was, I was in a church <coughs> where we were bringing on a new pastor, and so we had the meet and greet thing like we did with Pastor Scott. And we met with this guy, and he was, had the bloodlines for the denomination. I mean, he was everything he was supposed to be. <coughs> And most of the conversations were pleasant. Somebody said, well, what do you think about inerrancy? And he said, I don't believe the Bible's inerrant. I believe it's authoritative. 
Okay, so if it's not inerrant, then you get to decide where, where it's true or false, and then from there you get to assert your authority. You realize how quickly you would move into this? <coughs> because he's putting himself as the judge of Scripture, which means that very quickly he will only be acknowledging his own authority. <coughs> Fortunately, he was not voted into the church, but it came down to one or two votes. It was a pretty solid church that was about ready to bring in a man who did not believe the Bible was inerrant. Um, that's, that's happening out there. And like you said, in many churches, they haven't preached out of the Bible for, for years. Or the Bible was seen as a good suggestion or maybe has some authority, it has some good principles, but it's not where we base the Word of God. So <clears throat> when Di Di uh, Diotrephes is doing that, he, um, he's mirroring what's going to happen throughout the church. Constant battle for the truth of the scripture. Okay? Um, and then these other things that he's doing are just amazing. Okay? It's like, how could anybody even see him as being a good pastor? My guess is he had some good qualities. <laughs> he was probably charismatic. Um, people were willing to overlook some things. People didn't want to rock the boat. Um, and I say that because of verse 11. Verse 11, this is being written out to Gaius, who is doing the right thing. And we have this example. We look at him and it's like, that's Satan right there. But this is a man who's somehow in a leadership position in this church. And he is told, Gaius is told, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. So here's, here's a model for you. Don't imitate that. Push that as far away from you as possible. Don't imitate evil. Imitate good. Um, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And then he gives an example of somebody who is somebody that Gaius should look to. And we know nothing about this man other than what's said right here. Demetrius uh, and Gaius were two of the most common names in in ancient um, the Greco-Roman world. So you ended up with, um, we don't know who these men are, but it says Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. So this book ends with Gaius being told, look, here's Diotrephes, here's Demetrius. Don't imitate di Diotrephes, imitate Demetrius. Ultimately, imitate Christ, imitate Paul, imitate the other apostles, but don't imitate this man. So uh, there are cults of personality. Um, he isn't, a, he came into the church, he probably wasn't doing these things, and the church has followed his lead to a place where the church is in trouble. So that's the book of 3 John. This is, this is our one shot at 3 John. Any comments on 3 John? Some of you may have other things that you want to say here before we end. Go ahead, Bernie. The, one, okay, the, first, the first three are blatant rejection of the gospel, blatant wickedness. The, the second three are actions that, okay, refuses to welcome a brother. Well, we, we are to refuse to welcome someone who is a false teacher and claims to be a brother. Yeah, and so he may actually be using what John said in 2 John as his justification for this. You to stop others from sinning. So that, once again, if, if it's being done in 
Yeah. So these these right here may be a false application of Second John. Yeah. Well, it's an abuse of power, but he, he may be saying, hey, you know what? John said, don't let false teachers in, so we're just going to keep anybody from coming in. Yeah. Kirk. I, I think the purpose of this book is to establish what's true and, and to avoid a lot of the application, I think, for us, and even then, was to, to figure out, well, how do we discern whether this is a good application or an abuse of power? And so what it comes down to is there's a hierarchy of authority that comes to the inerrancy of Scripture. The apostle, the Bible establishes the apostle's authority and it ends the authority for people who may claim to be apostles later. And so an apost if, you, if, Bible, if the Bible's inerrant or the apostle says something, it must be accepted as true, mm -hmm. which means it's beyond dispute. There's no appeal for it. It's irrefutable. Okay, so that has to be accepted as gospel, just as Christ would have said it, right? That's exactly. Okay, and then everyone else... It's, they may have persuasive, John MacArthur, Calvin, all these people, they're not apostles. They may have per, persuasive authority where we say, well, I think their interpretation is accurate, but they're only interpreting, they're not establishing. And you see that, that's the problem we have in society with judges, where judges are supposed to follow the law. They don't make the law, they follow the law, they interpret the law. And so it's an abuse of authority. When you say, well, you know, I don't like that law, so I'm going to do it in a different way. And so, I mean, I think this is like how we establish truth and how we discern it. And when we have someone abusing it, what do we do? It's not sinful for Gaius to invite the apostle in and welcome him. That's right. Even though it's against the authority of his pastor. So, I mean, this is like huge, and it applies today. Yep. Yeah, and actually, coming down to this, I, I hadn't really thought about this. Thank you, Bernie, for mentioning this. But um, we actually have to make the distinction, right? If we're going to be supporting people, who do we want to be supporting? <laughs> well, not somebody who's not taking the truth. We have to be very careful that, that they hold to the essential truths of the gospel. Um, you know, there's a lot of, lot of things that you can... Can give to but if you're giving to a Christian ministry make sure that they are doctrinally sound um, I, there's all sorts of things that people give to and none of it's wrong to use your money but if you're going to give to somebody and say I'm supporting a Christian organization make sure they're on target we actually had that issue with um, with uh, Shay and some of the concerns he had for the, the um, ministry that he was a part of and wondering if doctrinally they were right and that's part of his decision to be here uh, be back from the mission field so anyways a great two-set book on truth and the importance of it both of them apply very directly to our culture as we wrestle through these things if you're old enough you've watched churches go these directions uh, you've watched maybe whole denominations go these directions um, uh, colleges and universities that were Christian who go this direction. Once we unmoor ourselves from the authority of the Word of God, then we are very quickly going to end up like this, um, where there's wolves coming in that we can't stop and wolves on the inside that we can't, um, can't deal with. So, okay, anything else before we finish? All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer.